Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The Farmer's Dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them and easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. Hello, kids. This is Risk, the show where people tell true stories they never thought they'd dare to share. I'm Kevin Allison, and every Thursday we release these special episodes where we look back at some of our favorite stories. This week we're celebrating the life of someone who was truly one of a kind. Shashi Muso was a multi-talented artist, a queer rebel, and a truly sweet soul. When we learned that Shashi had passed away a few weeks back, we felt we had to honor his legacy by revisiting the two all-time classic stories that he told on Risk. Now, just FYI, there's dubious sexual situations and off-the-wall drug use and poop discussed in these stories. And with that said, here are the stories we call Shashi Muso Has to Leave Now and The Naked Strangler. About 1976 in San Francisco, I had this great lady friend who I had met when I was in high school in Kansas. She was not in high school, but I had directed a community theater play, which I hired her for, and gossip began that we were having an affair, although most people knew I was gay, but it was like a stupid little town. I'm going to call her Joyce because it sort of makes me feel strong. So anyway, she's a Coke dealer, pot dealer, acid maker. She leaves me in charge of her house. She's going away to do a deal somewhere. And she has, like, liquid acid in her freezer. Because you're supposed to, I guess, freeze liquid acid or it goes bad. I don't really know. But um, the refrigerator breaks when she's gone. Now, I'm taking care of her 12-year-old child, too, Scott. Delightful child. And it's just, like, great there. She was a woman that would get up in the morning. Before she got out of bed, she needed a joint a line of cocaine, 
and cocoa with the small marshmallows in it. Serious, before she even took the covers off of herself. And she walked like a Giselle. She had posture. I was working for Taste of Honey Bakery on 24th and Diamond in San Francisco. San Francisco, the 70s, you know, oh, hello, hello. Oh, I ate a half an avocado today and I feel so spaced out. You know, that kind of mentality, which I never really liked. But um, I was living in the bakery. I lived above the alcove in the door. I mean, it literally was a, a triangle-shaped thing above the entrance to the door is where my bed was. And I would balance on the beams to climb up there to go to bed, and I'd get down in the morning and bake, which is really fun when you go out to bars at night and you bring someone home and you give them baked goods and tea and say, come into my bakery. And, uh, anyway, that's where I met James Kirkleski, and he was with this Bonnie girl, and they, there was this baby, and I thought they were like a family. And he was so pretty. Well, I got sick and I had to sleep in the basement because I couldn't be sick above the door when they're open. So I was sleeping in the basement because I was really sick. And he came down to see how I was. And that vibe began, you know. It was there, that vibe. You wanted each other. And I'm going like, I'm really sick. He said, I don't care. And our relationship began. Bonnie was a friend. The baby was not his. He had admired me from the moment he met me. And then I was not good to him, I don't think. I loved to fool around, but I didn't want him to. So anyway, the refrigerator broke down. So she comes back, there's a big pot deal going on. We got the fat lady in the room, we've got her sister with asthma, we've got Scott, the 12 year old child, we got my boyfriend, James Kirk Lesky. Obviously his parents were into Star Trek. And this guy that's coming to do the deal who looks sort of like Antonio Banderas. I describe him that so it gives you a visual. He was there for a drug deal. The fat lady was a regular. She had four buttholes. She was so fat. I saw her naked once and there were four separate entities. It was amazing. She had four buttholes. Well, it was probably one passageway, but she had four separate things coming out of there. It wasn't a hemorrhoid. So Joyce says, oh my God, this is no good anymore. So she takes a little container of acid, shakes it on her finger like you would put on perfume, and she goes around and puts a finger on everybody's tongue saying, this is for you, saying it's no good. Everything became one. People started melting. We must have had a hundred hits of acid each. She didn't do it to Scott. We put Scott in his room. But Scott said, butterflies. And the whole room was filled with butterflies. And I thought, oh, I'll put on music. So I make the mistake of putting on Bonnie Bramlett, which is very, you know, like, uh, cowboys and Indians and everyone. Then someone said, we got to turn out the lights. But at one point, there were no seams in anything. Everything was one, was absolutely one. 
So I don't know where Joyce went, but then she opens her bedroom door. She's totally naked, and she has a gorgeous body. And she says, I need a black plastic bag. I said, oh, oh, I'll get you a black plastic bag. Went into the kitchen. I opened the pantry. I pulled out a big black plastic bag. Then I went back to her naked body standing in the door, and I said, why do you need the black plastic bag? She said, I vomited on the carpet. And she bent over, and I got to see her perfectly shaped rear, and she picked up the vomited carpet, and she put it in the black bag, and she said, Shashi, take the bag to the back. I said, yeah. And I took it to the back. So I go back into the living room where people are like little bugs moving around in the dark. Afterwards, I could only imagine what they were going through. At that time, I could only deal with what I was going through. I had just done the black bag. And so Joyce's sister says, oh my God, I can't breathe. And everyone looks at Joyce's sister. She says, my head is falling off. Her head fell off. It rolled across the floor. Everyone's watching this. No, I'm, I'm saying this is what I saw when this happened to me. I will tell you what we talked about days later. You know, we're all in like the lettuce position, sitting at the table with, eating with chopsticks. I said, remember when Joy, I can't remember Joyce's sister's name, but I said, remember when she said, my head, and they said, and her head rolled across the floor, everyone at the same time. But we know it didn't happen. And I'm going like, God damn it, man. Everybody saw that. Joyce went over, picked it up, put it back on her sister's body, and then we went about moving around again. <laughs> and I turn around and there's light from the kitchen. And there they were on the floor. James Kirk and Antonio. And it was beautiful. It was beautiful. And I was so jealous. I was horrified. But I wasn't going to stop it. I didn't have the right, but you know, I do now remember that I just thought it was absolutely gorgeous. I know now that he had the right to love other people. We might still be together this day if, we, if I had allowed that. He allowed me. Well, I demanded it. I mean, it was my right. I was Shashi Muso. But I was young, I was beautiful. I was the boss, I was the money maker. I was everything. If I ever blame myself for anything in my life, it is losing that person. I knew we were all an acid. Something in me said, no, 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 no. Shashi Muso has to leave now. And the person I love was there. But I had to go back to my base, my home, where I lived with many people. And I had so much acid in my system. I figured if I could regurgitate as much out of my system that I would get some of that out of there. The only way I knew to do it is to do something horrible. I went into the bathroom 
and I shat in my hand and I stuck it in my mouth and I chewed on it so I could vomit. I needed to do that in order to escape because I couldn't stay there. I couldn't stay there and let what I was allowing to have happen between those two. And I tripped enough in my life. I had been high on enough things, peyote, mescaline, mushrooms, that I knew I was going into the next stage. I was going to plateau into another stage, which was even higher, but I did not want to go there. I did not need to be in that group. I wanted to hold on to myself. And I had to go back to where I lived. I figured whatever was going on there was going on there, and I just chewed on my own shit. So I got in, there happened to be a taxi there. I got in, and I told him where to take me, and I think he was getting a contact high. I know he was. And so much was going on. The streets were passing. I pull out a $5 bill that completely stretches the whole length of the cab. And I said, is this enough? <laughs> the cab driver said, that's plenty. <laughs> but the thing was bigger than the cab. It was, it was. And I lived with six other people then. We had marijuana plants growing in the back and strawberries and string beans and Jerusalem artichokes. And we all did yoga. Um, no one was home. So I rose up in a little ball on the floor and I prayed and they found me and they comforted me and they put me in a hot bath and at one point uh, in the bath I said you know you need to find out what's happened to Scott the child because God knows what could have happened to him he was a 12 year old child that we had locked in a room because everyone had a hundred hits of acid I mean, it was like Olivia de Havilland in Snake Pit. That last shot where she's crazy in the asylum and it all looks like snakes. It was that kind of look, thing I saw before I left. I made the conscious choice not to be a part of that. It could have been a good time. But for some reason, I said, I'm not doing that. Leave Joyce and her black bag and Antonio and my boyfriend and the fat lady with four butts, and I just was like, I wasn't having any of it, baby. I said, I'm taking my big $5 bill and I'm going home. <laughs> I look back at it as one of the most amazing moments in my life. As I have grown older, I can look back at it and see the things I missed that were right there for me. Like my respect for James Kirkleski. Oh, can he please even to this day forgive me? I think if we're lucky, we at least find one person in our life that to the day we die, we know we loved totally. And he loved me, he loved me. And I look back, I was bad to him, but not in a cruel way. It's just that I wanted what I wanted. I didn't want him to want what he wanted, but I wanted him to want me. It doesn't work that way, I know now. 
And I was full of myself back then. But I, I hope one day I see him before I'm gone. story begins when I'm 10 years old in 1962 in a little suburb outside of Wichita, Kansas. My mother is on her third marriage and we're moving to a brand new house in an isolated new complex. No grass, no people practically. And the selling point of the whole thing was that each doorbell played a different 10 note tune like Strangers in the night are some enchanted evening. So here we are. I can't believe it. It's so desolate. School's going to start in a month. It's August. Every September, my mother has a nervous breakdown since she was 18 until the day she died. And I'm wondering, what am I going to do about sex? Now, you might think a 10-year-old wouldn't be thinking of this kind of thing, but When we were in Hawaii from six months old to six years old, by the time I was three, I'd become fascinated with the human body. By the time I was almost five, I was able to scale the trees outside the complex where we lived on the military base and watch people have sex through Venetian blinds. Thus, my dislike of Venetian blinds, because when they're in the wrong position, you can't see anything. So I'm now very aware through the window peeking and the study of naked bodies, what I like and it's penises. Even at that age, I was not ashamed. Five years old, I like penises. As a birthday present, my father takes me to the military base pool. Now I had been there often growing up, but this is the first time I really remember it. And oh, to my joy, the showers. See, I was tall for five, so I was at penis height. I was in penis heaven. And when I walked in, of course, I got an erection. And one of the first people near me, not my father, reached over, slapped my hard penis and said, Hey, boring, boring. Apparently, I had a reputation that even as a child, the minute I walked into that room of naked bodies, boing, so they were calling me boing. This was a discovery for me. So I was boring, and I was going to continue on this journey. So six years old, we leave. We go to Texas. Aha. This is when it really started, the Latino effect. Mm-hmm. Had a good time in Texas for four years. And then, third husband, we're moving back to Kansas. Kansas, 1962. The beehives, the hairspray, the polka dots, the, the new houses we were moving into, all different levels, the sunken living room, the kitchen with the picture window, all looking out onto mud. There we are. I'm missing penises already. What do I do? 
I go around and ring all the doorbells to all those fine little new houses with all those shiny Chevrolets with the fins out back. Some people answered. I got to know that there were maids. No kids, no handsome older gentlemen with a little wink in their eye, which I knew that wink, even by 10. I mean, I was young. I was 10, but I knew that look. That look is such a giveaway. So I gave up, and we sat down for our nightly ear cleaning. See, my mother had a tradition. You would lie on her lap, and she would take the round end of a bobby pin and meticulously clean the wax out of your ears. She called this think time. This was a time to gather our thoughts and think deep into our lives. Of course, mind, mind was rambling with what am I going to do? What am I going to do? You know, School doesn't start for a month. She's going to go crazy any minute. And then I look down on the coffee table and here's this local gazette. And it says, strong man escapes from jail by bending bars. That's it. And he's naked. He was arrested naked, escaped naked, is on the loose in our vicinity naked. Here it is, a naked man, loose in our vicinity. This is so exciting. So I just keep looking at the news each day, and a couple of days pass, and they're now calling him the Naked Strangler. It seems that he has broken in early mornings into some of these new homes where there's a maid working and he seems to have a fetish about strangling them with the ironing cord. He doesn't kill them, he doesn't rape them, he just knocks them out and disappears. So I'm thinking, I have to find this guy, you know, because he was beautiful. He had long hair, lean, strong body. I thought, oh, this is for me. He has come to save me. He has come to satisfy my penis need. So, through talking to maids, there was rumor that he was hide out in the old Catholic elementary school up the ridge by the quarry and the sand pits. In a few days, I leave early, tell my mother I'm going for a walk. I go up over the main road, through the trees. It's kind of a steep climb to that gorgeous old turret building, four stories high. It used to have a stone bridge that connected to the two buildings, which was no longer usable. It had broken down years ago. The rumor was that he was hide out in the part that was inaccessible, that he probably had a way to get in there. And I went into the accessible part of the building, and there on the top floor in the back was a window that looked on to the inaccessible the home of the naked strangler. I was sure of it. And there was a beautiful green wooden plank. So I toppled it over to the building across, skimming on my knees over, and hesitated. I was a little nervous. I looked around. It was immaculate. No clothes, of course, but there were supplies. There was a neatly made bed, lovely quilt. He obviously took care of his trash. It was sort of like a priest's dwelling. I decided to pull the plank in with me, just in case somebody came. I don't know, I was so nervous. So I looked around, I looked around, and then I heard a noise outside. I looked down, and there he was going across the yard. So I thought, oh, he's coming back, so I had to put the plank back. But I put the plank back, and now I don't have a way to get back across. 
So he comes in. I swear that he was aware of me. Now, I had my little school pack with me. And, you know, I was lightly dressed. And, and I was getting very excited. I got to watch him move around. I'm sure he was aware of me. Oh, and he was naked. He was so naked and beautiful. He had gorgeous cock. It was, well, you know, by that time I had been so deprived. Uh, yeah, it was great. He then turned away, not looking at me yet, opened a can of peaches with a pocket knife, turned, looked straight at me, and began eating the peaches, the, the juice dripping from his lips into the can. He just looked at me. Then he looked me up and down. And remember, I'm 10. I took off my clothes. I took off my clothes and stood there. And of course, I got excited. And he just watched me, finishing his can of peaches, licking his fingers, the juice, the syrup. And I just stood there. And he moved, and I jumped. And then he turned back around, looked at me, and threw the plank back over and gave me a sort of look with his eyes like time to go. So I put my clothes on. My heart was racing so fast, and I was so happy. I mean, this was the start of a great relationship, I thought. <laughs> I thought, we're going to fall in love. We're going to run away together. I'm going to be a legend. Ten-year-old disappears with naked strangler. Maybe I become his accomplice. I didn't know. My heart was beating so fast. I got back home. I couldn't tell anyone what was going on. I spent the next few days, of course, getting the paper as soon as it came and waiting for him to come because I was certain he was going to come and get me. That's the reason I was there. It was destiny. He was coming for me. Me and the naked man were going to run off together. That was going to happen. I knew it. So... I would sneak across the floor and crawl under the kitchen table where you couldn't see me if you were standing up and look out the big picture window, which had no curtains, because I had seen footprints in the mud, and I knew someone had come and leased its clothes as a clothesline, so I was going to sit it out. Well, the second night of doing that under the kitchen table, my mother's feet passed by. My mother now had made vigil at the window. She would make herself a cup of black coffee and she would stand watch too. Not sure even today if she knew I was down there. But the two of us waiting for the naked man. Yeah, explained a lot about my mother. She was waiting for insanity and waiting for a new naked man. I too was waiting for the naked man. So I guess a week or two had passed. There were periodic outbursts of his so-called violence, they called it. But I knew he was sweet. I had seen him in the flesh. He didn't harm me. He ate peaches, for God's sake. Well, this went on for a while. And then one night, I hear rustling out in the bushes. This is the only foliage. These were grown bushes they put in front of all the houses. Silly. But there he was. His face, his hands, pressed up against the screen window. So, of course, I instantly stood up, got an erection, made sure I was in the nightlight so you could see the full package, and then he disappeared. So I thought, i got to crawl out, see if he goes to the picture window. I'm sure he's coming for me in the back. got to see if my mother's there. So, of course, she was there. So I'm trying to get myself unaroused so that if I'm spotted, I don't, you know, it was my mother. I said, well, I've got to crawl in 
under the table. He's going to come to the back window. He's come for me. He's come to take me away. I crawl underneath the table without being caught. And then there's this screech from my sister's bedroom. The naked man appears right against the window in the kitchen. My mother screams. I jump up, bump my head, getting out from under the table. My mother throws her coffee cup through the glass. It all shatters, and the police get called. I'm so excited. He was coming for me. That's proof. He was coming for me. So it turns out later we find that he actually got so close to my sister's screen, and she being a little tramp at 11, she, by the way, was pregnant at 12 and had her first baby at 13, so that tells you a little bit about her. She touched his body through the screen. That's why she screamed. So I guess all three of us were waiting for the naked strangler. I decide I'm going to go have a talk with him the next day. The police are out. They're measuring the footprints. My mother's telling her engulfing story about how close he got to her and blah, 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 blah. I decide to leave. My mother says, no, you're not going. I threw a fit. Went running. I said, never coming back. I'm never coming back. I made it as far as the Schwarzenegger's house around the corner. Then I sat by their woodshed and contemplated and cried a little too, I think, you know. And then I went back to the front sidewalk and in the front door of our house, and I could hear them arguing out in the backyard about me. They were looking for me. They couldn't find me. Now I was in the bedroom. I wasn't going to tell them I was back. Let them look. They were frantically screaming. And then this argument began with my stepfather and my mother. I thought, oh, shit. September's coming. The naked man's got to get me quick. I don't know what's going to happen. I get so angry that they have not found me. I keep hearing them screaming my name, Shashi, Shashi, where are you? I kick the top bunk bed so hard that the springs of mattress fall on me, trapping me under the bed. And they're all out searching for me. I'm so angry, I'm not going to scream for help. Eventually, I do. All right. My mother says, we're leaving tomorrow. Grandma and Grandpa are coming, and they're going to pick us up, and you're going to go stay with her for a while. We're having some problems here. We'd just been there a couple of weeks. It was a brand-new house. So I waited that night. I didn't do the table thing. I just waited at the bedroom, peeked. My mother was at the window. It was a lonely feeling. So the next day, I woke up to screaming. I looked out my window. My stepfather was dragging my mother by the neck through the seated yard as my grandma and grandpa drove up in their new Rambler's station wagon, bright red, and went to grandma's, and I was thinking, this is awful. This is awful. I would find out a few days later that they captured the naked strangler, and he never did really hurt anyone, but he got hurt very badly trying to escape, and was imprisoned again, and that's all I knew. And I thought to myself, well, school starts soon. There'll be gym class. And, you know, Kansas and our family being as inbred as it is, I knew there was a possibility to be a couple frisky cousins roaming about. So I wasn't completely disappointed. And to my surprise, once my sister had her baby at 12, I ended up having an affair with her husband eight years longer than she was married to him. So I'm still in the search of penises, but what I feel from this story is that no matter 
what the circumstance, no matter what the changes, carry on and a penis is just around the corner. That's all for this week's Classic Risk Singles episode. Now, don't miss out on our regular full-length episodes. There's a brand new one every Tuesday. And everything you might want to know about us is at risk-show.com. We used to have a state fair in my hometown, Hutchinson, Kansas, every year. It was a carnival. Well, anyway, they had corn dogs, you know, deep fried corn dogs and cotton candy. Well, the corn dog machine must have been really dirty because there was a corn dog that they tried to give me. And my piece of shit that night I ate it looked like that fucking corn dog I had when I was 12 years old and refused to eat. I would rather eat my own shit than eat that fucking corn dog. <laughs> <laughs>